Hey, everybody. Welcome to the latest edition of Volley. I'm Carolyn April, and as always, I'm looking for my good buddy, Seth Robinson. Seth, you out there? Hey, how are you doing? I'm doing well. It's a big sunny day. We had a lot of snow yesterday here in New Hampshire. Survived it without losing power, so that's always a plus because we do lose power a lot. And you're not uh, you're not laid up from having to shovel all of it. Oh God, I'm so sore today. I can't, it, it was wet, heavy snow, 18 inches, and I shoveled. Yes, and uh, yeah, I'm uh, my age is showing. Not only, my age is showing because I'm of my aches and pains, and because today's my daughter's 20th birthday. So I'm having a whole existential crisis about how old I am today. Oh. Well, I'm uh, I'm I'm just a little behind you on recognizing the age of my children. Uh, I went last night with my daughter to pick up a scholarship for her to head off to college. So you just you just went through that a little while ago. I'm I'm about to hit it. So we will uh, we'll be sharing in our in our sadness and our our misery. It's our trip. It's a trip. Let me tell you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> for sure. So today um, we got a, an interesting topic. I've just come out with some new research on the topic of diversity or lack thereof in the high tech industry. And this study really took a look at some of the attitudes and perceptions that people who work in the high tech industry have about their envir- their work environments and the workforce composition um, and whether or not and when I say diversity I mean the breadth of, of all different types of people so it's not just about race and ethnicity but it's also about gender and it's also about age um, so we, we did a lot of segmentation in the study um, around all of those different variables and it's an interesting it, it, a lot of interesting findings I'd encourage anyone who really wants to take a deep dive it's available to the public um, to go onto our comtia.org website and uh, download it and, and give it a read um, but it's a fascinating topic and I don't think that I'm telling anybody anything new um, statistics bear this out but the high tech industry really does lag in terms of a diverse workforce uh, makeup it is so far behind in so many categories. Uh, and and we've seen that in, in a lot of news stories in the last year or so. There have been, I think on the positive side, a lot of concerted efforts among larger firms like the Microsofts and Apples of the world to try to address this um, this issue uh, straight on. But I think we're going it's, it, to, it's taking some time and it's something that though I think is becoming a priority for many companies. So I t- that's the positive message I got from some of the data that I collected. So we have a guest today, um, and I want to introduce him now because he's here to talk with us about the study or the topic in general and anything else we want to explore, Seth. Uh, his name is Aaron Leviston. Aaron, welcome. Thank you. Thank you. How's everybody doing this morning? Uh, we're doing well. Thanks very much for joining us. Aaron is the National Account Manager at Ring Central, And Aaron, I'll let you describe what Ring Central does. I think I have a pretty good idea, but um, I want you to be able to use your own messaging there if you would. And we're just glad to have you. Perfect. Perfect. Well, yeah, again, thanks for having me. So Ring Central is the leader in unified communication. So anything that you want to, any firm, or excuse me, firm of uh, form of communication, that's what Ring Central is kind of doing, right? So whether it's talking, texting, video conferencing, audio conferencing, uh, that's what we do. And uh, I do on a day-to-day basis, kind of in charge of our la- large national partners with kind of a multi-regional global scope. So it's kind of being a nutshell what Ring Central brings to the table. Excellent. Well, you are going to be on a panel that I'm doing at um, Channel Partners Expo. It's an event that's happening in Las Vegas next month. 
and I'm, I'm super excited for this panel, but we're going to discuss this topic of diversity in IT, uh, in the IT industry. Um, and I think we're going to be in for a, a pretty spirited discussion. When- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 100% agree with you on that one. Um, it's it's pretty funny that this is still kind of like a big topic, right? Like it's, I, I well, can say since... From- you're, you're, you come from the younger generation, am I right? So, yeah, yes, I'm 32. So perhaps for you, it's more of a, wow, we haven't really gotten that far yet. I don't know <laughs> what's going on here. But um, we'll talk about, we can talk about, I think, in the panel as well, not just, like I said, we can talk about the, the age gap uh, in terms of their approach. What we found with our study is a lot of the younger folks within the study had different attitudes about diversity. Like, it's not a thing for them. They just assume that it should be, it should exist as opposed to some of the older people in the in the sample that we had. So it'll be a good discussion for us. Awesome. Looking forward to it. Aaron and Carolyn both. Uh, you know, one of the things that I was wondering a little bit reading your report, Carolyn, uh, and I've been in the tech industry for a while now, and I've, you know, been dealing with this. And Aaron, like you said, you know, we, we're still dealing with it. And, and part of the reason we're dealing with it is because we haven't gotten there. But why does it seem... Uh, so pronounced in the tech industry. Carolyn, you've got data in your study showing comparison to what you call general business, basically everything other than the tech industry. And it's definitely pronounced. And there there are some, I, I think, default ideas around why it might be more pronounced there. But I, I feel like those ideas might apply equally to other industries as well. And I, I'm not quite sure what makes technology uh, one that, that we're wrestling with so much on? It's a very good question. You can, I think you can, like you said, those default settings here for as reasons you can look at. Obviously, we discuss this in the news all the time, and we discuss it at CompTIA all the time, is whether or not STEM professions, uh, lean they lean toward men in many cases. So if we can get into talk about the gender aspect to this. But I think it, it may come down to the type of jobs these are the technical nature of many of these jobs. Historically, that's just been a funnel where many men tend to, to, to go through in, in, for a career versus other industries that have a much higher variable of the types of job roles within their industries that appeal to a broader spectrum of people. I mean, that's, you know, I, I, I don't understand. And, and I don't, I think there's a cultural thing too with a lot of technology companies that may not be welcoming um, to a diverse set of, of individuals. I don't know, Aaron, in your experience, since, you know, what, what do you think is some of the root causes for the reason, you know, for high tech not really catching up to other industries? Yeah, so I think a lot of it has to do with the way the technology is positioned, right? So typically positioned as a consumer product is not necessarily something as I can be a part of to most communities, right? So they know how to, you know, play a video game or use a cell phone, but they don't understand the background behind what it takes to actually get that product to market. And I don't think a lot of technology companies do a fantastic job of actually communicating that message out there and working with different groups in the area that are actually trying to show inner city youth or these different demographics that aren't necessarily reaching out or getting in those positions, how they can get it, right? So we've always heard the old adage, if I can see it, that means I can be it, right? Well, a lot of times you don't necessarily see it in a lot of these communities. Um, But I I can certainly say that I think there is starting to be a lot more of a concerted effort um, to your point from some of those larger organizations, but I'm seeing it from individual contributors where you're seeing like STEM gyms and a lot of these other different individual like black girls code or girls encoding and all these different nonprofits that are popping up. So I think 
the community approach is starting to bubble up. But for sure, I think companies have got to take a little bit more stronger effort themselves and actually working with those type of organizations. Yeah, that's one of the things we found with the study also is that maybe uh, as companies are trying to diversify their workforce, they're not looking in the right places necessarily. You know, they're overlooking a lot of community areas they could be um, they could be recruiting from. They're overlooking black universities and colleges. And and, and that's part of the problem. And, and so that maybe that's an awareness or an education thing that HR departments have to 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 come around to, that there are a lot more places where they could be looking for good job applicants and candidates um, that they're just missing out on right now. And that may be part of the problem, Seth, to your, to your question as well. Yeah, I, I really liked what you said, Aaron, about people not understanding what a tech career might look like. That's something that we've wrestled with here. And I'll have to say that my perception of it is, you know, we, we might say people don't understand the breadth of things that are available in the technology industry. And my rebuttal to that has always been, I don't think people understand, students maybe understand the breadth of opportunities in the medical industry. But what you just said made me think that maybe that starting point. So if you're thinking about going into the medical industry, you know that it's about patient care in some way. And then as you go into that, that leads to this broad range of different things that you might do. And if your starting point for technology is kind of hardcore tech, either, you know, wiring server racks or writing code, that might not be a good enough starting point for people to start to want to go down the path. No, that's an amazing point. Yeah, I, I didn't really think about it, right? As you're kind of explaining that, I'm thinking about my own experiences with technology. Uh, it's been primarily a consumer. Like, I've never actually been through the supply line of what that technology looks like and and kind of using your example of, you know, working within the medical field, like if you get in the medical field, you readily have an experience, whether you're at a dentist or a hospital or some sort of, you have some sort of experience, right, with a doctor or a nurse or some sort of healthcare practitioner where you can actually touch and feel and actually see what those jobs are, right? So I think that's a really good point that you just made there. Yeah, I, I agree. I think to what you said earlier, Aaron, about is if you see it, you can be it. I think that's that's important, and I do think that there's a lot. Um, a lot of technology is behind the curtain for folks, and they have a couple of preconceived uh, ideas of what what a career in tech would look like. Uh, whether that's just becoming an engineer and doing software coding, or um, like like you said, working on infrastructure or the help desk or something like that. Whereas there's so much more. Uh, there's so much more to the industry, and I will say, to make a point about my study, is the is the the study sample was not just. Uh, individuals uh, who work in technical jobs in the high-tech industry. It involved anybody who works in the high-tech industry. So it could be the front desk secretary, the administrative assistant, uh, a marketing executive, somebody like yourself, Aaron, who's in sales. And and so it, it's, it's not simply uh, an industry where you need to go into a technical job, but it's one that, you know, is, is, has as many different types of job roles as, as other industries. But I do think, Seth, you're, you make a point. People grow up, you kind of have a good idea of what a medical, you know, what the medical industry is, and you intersect with doctors your whole life and dentists, and, and you can get a good sense just from osmosis about what might be involved here. And I don't know if technology is being sold to young people, especially in the same way, other than what they learn as consumers of technology, like you said, Aaron, and certainly well, we have very technically literate young people today in terms of their consumer devices. That doesn't necessarily translate into them knowing much about an actual uh, career in the high-tech industry. 
Yeah, agreed. So, Carolyn, I was kind of looking at your study, and one thing that kind of stuck out to me is the disparity between men and women when it came to the the pay gap, right? Like that still amazes me that that's still happening. Like, did you was there any underlying thing that you thought of that may have not been in the research that kind of drew that out a little bit more to say like what are some of those explanations of why that gender gap is still so large? Yeah, I mean, it, you know, the it, that definitely was one of the big findings in in the study, and clearly it was one of the reasons that we when we asked would you leave a job if there was some underlying um, bias going on in the end for women, the number one reason that they would leave a, a tech career uh, was pay inequity. Now, I don't know. I don't have the statistics on how different the, uh, you know, how different salaries are for men and women within uh, within the high tech industry. There's a couple out there that I did, you know, did read over when I was doing the report. And it can be fairly significant. It is something that, um, you know, it's a male-dominated inter- industry, and maybe that's the, just the reason for it. They've just simply not caught up to the fact that that's not cool. It's not cool. To be able to- <laughs> yeah, it, it's not. But uh, it, at least it gave me one. The one thing that I found that like sort of uh, fortified me about it, though, is that at least women are willing to st- stand up for themselves. Uh, based on on the findings in this study, it's like if they find out that they're being you know woefully underpaid compared to an equal counterpart on the male on the men's side, they'll quit the job. And uh, and I hope that uh, the industry, as it be- starts to become more diverse and is starting to get aware and woke to all these things, um, uh, wises up to the gender gap uh, in terms of pay as well. Yeah, for me, uh, you know, I I came from IBM and I was a manager there. And so I saw salaries and, you know, I I didn't have the experience of feeling like a woman versus a man is being paid differently. Now, if I stepped back and I I thought about, you know, how many women do I have at the upper end of the scale? You know, how many have, have stayed around or how many have maybe left? because they're not seeing diversity and some of the things that you highlighted in your study, Carolyn, then then that could lead to a pay gap. But I, I think that I was not fully aware of things that were less indirect than that, but more directly simply not being paid the same amount for the same job. And I don't know, you know what could be done there from an HR perspective, but it seems like it's at least an issue worth exploring to try to figure out, you know, what can be done here to try to make things more transparent, maybe not to every individual, but um, to the management levels at an organization and, and maybe to have, you know, checks and balances and more rigor in explaining why something might look off base. But clearly there are stories that come out there. There are plenty of people that have personal experience and it's one of these things that persists and we haven't found a good solution for it yet. And, and certainly continuing to just highlight it and talk about it isn't uh, directly going to drive it, but I, I'm really interested to see what processes might come uh, and, and what new best practices might evolve in, in trying to eliminate this. Yeah, it's a tricky it's a tricky subject. You know, I don't think because, you know, people join organizations with different times. Um, they get promoted and salary scales change. I mean, it's not, it, it isn't a one-to-one kind of thing necessarily in every case where I'm doing this job as a woman and you're doing that job as a man and they, we've got the same title and whatever, we should be making the exact same amount of money. There are different reasons that for disparity, but it's definitely still an issue that needs to be addressed in some way, and I don't think it's an easy one necessarily. Um, so I just wanted to turn to talk to you, Aaron, a little bit about your journey in terms of how you 
got into the tech industry yourself? Because um, I think you've got an interesting background, and it would be good to hear. Um, say, like you said, you, you were only really familiar with consumer use of technology, and somehow now here you are working for a cloud-based UC company. And, you know, what, what, what led you there? Yeah, so it was honestly completely by accident. So I got my degree in economics and I had this dream that I was going to absolutely take over the world and be one of the biggest financials at a local hedge fund, right? Um, and then 2008 happens, and that's when I graduated. So clearly those dreams were dashed pretty quickly. So it actually happened by way of a recruiter reaching out to me and they offered me a job at a printer manufacturer. And I had every intention of simply going there, maybe riding it for six months, and getting out, just give me enough time to get back into the finance field. So after I kind of did it for a little bit, two, three years later, I look up and you know I've won a couple of awards for President's Club and I'm actually really enjoying the job. But as everything changes, technology is no exception, right? So I noticed that there had to have been this migration from the uh, hardware world to the cloud world. And I kind of actively started seeking out opportunities and kind of opening my eyes up to what other opportunities were out there in a tech field um, as far as it goes for different technologies. And then that led to me ultimately having a pretty great conversation with um, a manager at Ring Central that brought me on. And it, the rest has kind of been history. Or, yeah, the rest, as they say, has been history. But for the most part, it really was honestly by accident. I really didn't have any strong intention or inclination to want to get into tech. So lots of things in life tend to happen that way, right? Right, right. <laughs> By accident, yeah. We all take some twists and turns. What do you think? This is from a from a you're out there in the field. You talk to customers. You know what are what are some of the most exciting things going on in the industry right now? Well, from what perspective? Any like technology, what you're seeing, uh, business models, what customers are, are are interested in. Yeah, so I think for me, like the biggest thing that's kind of been highlighted and standing out. Um, has been like this convergence of technologies, right? A lot of things that were like single item pieces of technology are now being consolidated. Like, honestly, take Ring Central for instance, the way they're wrapping all these different things, uh, a different single line items up and putting them into one unified platform has been absolutely amazing. But then you also see that across the, the spectrum when you look at SD-WAN or these other different technologies that are replacing historically very costly things and uh, moving things over to the cloud and doing what technology does best, right? Being highly efficient and offering a much better solution for the customer. So it's, I have, as I've gotten a lot more involved in this tech space and having these interactions with different customers and channel partners, I have become a lot more of a tech nerd and a tech geek and things that I historically wouldn't have excited me. I'm, I'm absolutely getting excited about, right? So yeah, those are some of the things that I'm absolutely looking forward to seeing a little bit more and seeing how they progress. Well, Seth's our resident tech geek, right? Oh, I try to be. I, I don't. <laughs> I'm definitely <laughs> geeky. But uh, Aaron, I'm interested to know you. You, as you told your story there, the you know the the thing that happened by accident or the trigger that in there was this recruiter reaching out to you. And uh, I read an article that I had shared with Carolyn a little while ago um, that I think a, a team of researchers were looking at recruiting practices of companies that came to a university to hold recruiting sessions. And they, you know, this was, this just happened. It wasn't like it was 10 years ago or 20 years ago. They were describing these recruiting sessions uh, that, that really clearly highlighted why people that are in underrepresented categories in technology would probably continue to feel underrepresented. And so given that recruiting was kind of the trigger for you, 
uh, and I'm sure you've done some of your own recruiting, what do you see as maybe being some of the the, the barriers there that might be really subtle? Uh, and, and do you see any companies that are trying to work their way around those as, as they're recognizing that maybe there's some some hidden bias or, or anything like that in the recruiting process? Yeah, so that's a great question. Um, I know one of the biggest things is, right, you go where you're most familiar. And that's one of those unintentional biases that nobody knows that they're doing, right? Like, I'm naturally going to go hang out with my friends. If I'm in a recruiting space, and I've got a really good friend who's been in the staffing space for 20 plus years, him and I chat about this all the time, and he constantly shares with me that a lot of people are going to go where they're familiar, right? They're going to go grab their old fraternity buddies, or they're going to go to the schools that they went to, they're going to go to their alma mater. Um, They're going to essentially fish in the fishing places that they've historically fished in, right? Their old honey holes. So I think that's one of those biggest, those big things that I've always kind of seen and my buddy validated that, right? Um, and I think what I have been seeing is an intentional effort by a lot of the folks in the recruitment space actually going out and stepping outside of their own comfort zone. And if they don't have the folks who are comfortable going outside of their comfort zone, they find those individuals to go outside their comfort zone, right? So um, Carolyn, you mentioned uh, HBCUs earlier in the conversation. Yeah, I'm starting to see a lot more of a concerted effort from larger organizations actually going to these HBCUs to have a table there and actually start actively recruiting. And those are typically areas that are kind of looked over, right? Because you just don't think about it. If you don't have somebody that's in a leadership position, they kind of wave the hand and say, hey, there's a really big hole in our diversity strategy. Maybe we should start recruiting in different areas that's going to actually give us that opportunity. Um then they're not going to do it right now specific companies man I, I wish i could really say something that really highlighted that um i'm just going off of more anecdotal stuff mm -hmm. more than anything yeah no we saw in in the study it's not just in the recruiting process but also once the person's been recruited and they brought it you know the the, the applicants come in for their actual job interviews and often it is if it's it, you know a white male who is doing the interviewing um you're right. There was a bias there that they don't even really understand. You know, know that they have, and so the things that they're looking for, the characteristics that they're looking for, and what would be a good employee and somebody, are from their own personal experience um, of what they consider a good characteristic for an employee for this particular job, and they're not necessarily thinking outside the box about what some of the other characteristics potentially could be that we could bring to the table. So I think that bias is a big problem and um, it takes some effort for an individual at the individual level for people to get out of their comfort zone and realize that somebody who's different and from a different uh, background has to had different experiences, has taken a different path or journey to this job interview uh, in life may have a set of skills and a set of uh, characteristics that will really be a boon to the to the workplace and that they should be hired. And I, I love the description, Aaron, of of being where you're most familiar, because I think when I as, I as I chew more on what this problem is and and people say that we don't want to talk about it being a pipeline problem because there's still a root cause there. And, and what is that root cause? And everyone agrees, you know, like you found in the study, Carolyn, that we want to have the most qualified candidate. But you even point out in the study that the qualifications there might have some bias in them. And I think there's so much of thinking especially if you're in a successful company, you're thinking this is the way we've done it and it's worked for us. So we want to try to continue doing it this way. But I think when it comes to diversity, 
it really is uh, along the lines of one of my favorite business books that I've read, what got you here won't get you there. And, and you can have a set of practices that are definitely successful and they lead to a certain level of success. But if you want to take the next step, it isn't just following those exact practices or trying to amp up those practices. It's doing something completely different. Yeah, that's a great yeah. point. I tell you, when I was reading through the study, one of the things that you just kind of mentioned um, really resonated because I was thinking about this myself, right? Like one of the biggest things that I think has to change is diversity has historically been kind of a theoretical and reserved for the academics, right? It, it needs to be owned by somebody who drives revenue within that organization because that if that person that drives re revenue within an organization is saying, hey, guys, we have an issue. I'd like to penetrate a new market, and I think I need to have this certain skill set that's going to get me to that market. We should go find somebody from that market. That kind of solves two things, right? It solves the business issue of like, hey, let's go get some new revenue. And then it also solves the diversity issue. So that's why I'm, I'm constantly thinking like, you know, maybe how do we get more of these senior levels that own revenue pieces, whether it's engineering and innovation, right, or a salesperson, and leadership. And again, how do we get those guys to kind of get that buy-in so it doesn't become the third rail of the corporate world, right? No, I think you make a fantastic point there. It can't, I think, it can't, the diversity efforts cannot just be sort of a theoretical or an academic effort by the, the human resources department. We have to have a certain number right. of X, you know? And if you do tie it to, um, to business outcomes, uh, that's a much, much more powerful argument. And what we found in the study is that most people believe that diversity efforts really do need to come top down. So we're talking about the CEOs, the owners, the leaders within organizations. And also we found in the study that most people agree that uh, a more diverse workforce is uh, uh, more fertile for innovation. And so, you know, innovation is a business outcome, you know, it, it will help drive your bottom line, et cetera, et cetera. So I think you're yeah, making the business case for having a more diverse workforce and then having a champion behind that, like you said, Aaron, um, will go a long way to making to accelerating our efforts in this area. I agree 100 percent. So so I think um, we kind of scratched the at the surface here. I'm looking forward to our panel uh, next month. And, and I've, I'd love to have this continuing conversation with you, Aaron. Um, Seth, anything else you wanted to add? Yeah, just in closing, uh, I feel like as we've looked at this and, and we, you know, we started with the discussion of why is this the most pronounced in the tech industry? And if we think about you know, some of the traditional issues that there might be with recruiting in a certain geographic region or understanding some of the characteristics that might lead to f future success, I really feel like not only you know is the tech industry got some room to make up, but they can try to break some new ground in integrating remote workers and figuring out what those characteristics are. And I would love to see us you know tackle this problem, come up with exactly what you guys have said, you know some of the the tangible solutions. And so I've got some hope for the future, and I'm really anxious to hear uh, how your panel discussion goes. Right. Well, Aaron, I want to thank you again for joining. It's been a great conversation. Thank you for having me. I certainly appreciate it. It was a fun time. Terrific. All righty, Seth. Well, you have a good weekend, all both of you, and uh, we will chat soon. All right. Sounds good. Bye. All right. Take care. Bye-bye.